You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, this is Sarah, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding limiting labels and belief so that we can live our calling and shine our light into the world. Today, we're going to talk with Jacqueline Wales, a courageous and vivacious woman. I know this because of my conversations with her, who reminds us, be fearless and see where it gets you. Jacqueline describes herself as an astute observer of behavior, endlessly fascinated by the messiness of being human. I'm going to ask a little bit more about that one because the messiness is interesting. But as an astute observer, Jacqueline has invested more than 35 years exploring human behavior and asking tough questions in pursuit of hard truths. She's a writer, a singer, a global nomad, and she has lived and traveled on three continents. She's developed a passion for martial arts and earned her black belt in karate and is now an avid CrossFit athlete. I bow down. (laughs) Throughout her journey, she's come to understand that no matter who we are or what we are doing in life, the challenge that each of us face are really not that different from one another. So I mentioned she's a writer. She is the author of four books, When the Crow Sings, The Fearless Factor, The Fearless Factor at Work, and her soon-to-be-published Fearless Women Leading the Way. And we're going to talk a bit about the upcoming book on today's um, episode. And on a more personal note, Jackie is an active co-partner in a long-term marriage and the mother of four amazing adult children. So with that, let's welcome our guest. Jacqueline Wales. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi there, Sarah. It's great to be here. And thanks for that wonderful bio you just read. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. I just, well, first of all, for the listeners, Jacqueline and I were going to spend like a 15-minute conversation. This was a month or so ago, just kind of touching base real quick, seeing if the podcast would be fun and could we even put it in our schedules. I think we talked for an hour and a half. Um, I think it was long. It was invigorating. It was just such an entertaining and enlightening conversation for me. So I know that our, our listeners are going to take a lot away from hearing from you today, Jacqueline. But I do like to ask all our guests, all of our guests at the beginning of the interview, this question. Is there something that you do every day that keeps you focused on your own big dreams and goals? I have a journal that I wrote out in terms of my big goals, the, by stating it in the present tense, it's already happening. And so I read this to myself every morning to remind myself that this is what I want. This is where I am going. And this is what matters to me. 
And so having that piece, plus I write in my journal generally for gratitudes and acknowledgements of things that have been happening in my daily life. Uh, so there's there's a bit of a, a ritual and a routine to the early mornings. And I'm an early riser. I get up around five o'clock most mornings uh, because I like that quiet time where it's just me and the dog. And as long as she doesn't bother me, I'm perfectly happy with that. <laughs> Isn't that a magical time of day? It is. I love the time between my husband usually comes down about seven o'clock in the morning. He's probably been lying in bed looking at news on his phone up until then. But uh, it's like you're in your own little world and there's no phone calls, no Zoom calls, no nothing you got to do. Just be with yourself. Read a book. Read the news. What an idea. Yeah. Well, and have you been that way since you were a young girl? Have you always been an early riser? Um. Pretty much, yeah. I can't remember the last time that I slept late. Uh, I, you know, I did sleep one morning, maybe a few months ago. It was like 8.30, but then I had been up in the middle of the night. So, you know, it didn't really qualify. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm a good sleeper for the most part, you know. So it's, it's good. We need our rest. We do. We do. I'm in bed at nine o'clock at night. So if you figure you're in bed, getting up at five isn't that bad. You know, you've got your eight hours. <laughs> I think we have similar clocks. I'm like, yeah. well, you know, someone goes, hey, you want me to call you tonight? I go, hmm, what time? Mm, that's not a good time for me. That's right. It's like you have me until about 730 and then we're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I do want to ask you a, a few things. I actually, I have a list of things I'd like to ask you. So we'll just see where our conversation goes. But I do want to start by asking if you can define and distinguish the difference between fearlessness and courage. When we think of courage, it's about stretching ourselves beyond whatever it is that that we're doing and it's generally associated with some level of discomfort so you know there are massive stories of courageous people who have made a huge impact or they've you know flown in airplanes and landed in the 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 you know peruvian andes and had to walk their way out of there in the snow and so forth i mean these are stories of amazing courage to be able to do that the fearless piece is actually aligned with that quite well, you know, because I like to say being fearless is not the absence of fear, but it is the courage to take the next step. So when we have that fear, when we have that uncertainty, that discomfort with where we are at this current moment, you can measure the courage that it takes to make that next move in increments. You know, it doesn't have to be massive. You don't need to have spectacular in, in terms of your understanding of courage. It can just simply be that I'm taking a different attitude about something. Different from the limiting beliefs. You're talking about limiting beliefs on your program. The limiting beliefs are what keeps us trapped in the, the smallness of our being, put it that way. To be larger than life, and I've had my own experiences with this because everything that I write about, everything I teach is because I have been there, done that, know what that looks and feels and smells like, and it's, it's damned uncomfortable. And you have to be able to take the courage to say, that's not working for me and I have to try something different. So is it fearless or is it courage? Well. You can put whatever label you want to put on it. 
you know. But the truth of the matter is, I got to get out of this place where I'm feeling damned uncomfortable, and I got to figure out a different way to be. And that's really what it comes down to. And of course, my work is all about addressing people's limited beliefs and behaviors. Where do we self-sabotage? Where do we hold ourselves back? Not ask for what we want. Not step into that big leap of, oh my God, can I do this? And this is specific for women, particularly. You know, it's like, I want it, but I don't know if I can have it. I don't know if I deserve it. I don't know if if I'm capable. You put all those, you know, I don't knows and I can'ts in front of whatever it is. The courage is to say, yes, I can. Yes, I will. Yes, I'll try. Because what's the biggest fear that comes up for so many people? The fear of failure. And if I don't try, if I don't put on the courage to try the next thing, then yeah, that failure is definitely going to define you. But failure is simply a choice, an expectation, or a decision that didn't go the way you had planned. And there's only one word you apply to that, and it's next. There's that leap again. Take the next step. Yeah. Well, and, and failure, it's just an experience. It doesn't mean, it. it's not a definition of you. But I actually think people who fail when they try are inspirational for sure yes. I mean, how many times have you failed in in whatever you've done in your life many 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 i have failed many many times you know and a lot of the time you look at it and you go okay that didn't work so what are we going to do now and you know it's like well plan a isn't working so what's plan b and sometimes it's plan c because everything in life is an iteration and that's what most people forget Life is an iterative process. And each time you iterate, it becomes more powerful. It becomes more connected to who you are in the world. You're taking ownership of you, which is a big piece. So that brings me to a question that I actually was going to ask later, but I, I think it makes sense to ask it now. You talked about... Um, the excuses, more often women than men will do these about why we don't, right? So when I iterate and I become um, a different version of who I was, maybe even just 24 hours before because I tried something, right? Do you find that folks get uncomfortable in that new iteration and step back? Or like what helps people, I guess, stop from stopping, you know? Well, I, you know, the thing I talk about, and you've heard this before many times, I'm sure, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's how change happens. We don't get, we don't change from our comfort zones. You know, it's, it's the old story of better the devil I know than the devil I don't. And my response to that is, why do you like living in hell? Because that's clearly what you're saying. Why do you got to pick between devils? You do have to new. no question, you know, and I can be devil's advocate too. So, um, yeah. but the point being is that we, we really do need to, when we step into a new zone, you're feeling like, holy shit, am I really going to go there? And if the brain says to you, yes, you are, then you have to challenge yourself to the max to stay the course you know, it's like once you're on that hill going uphill and you're all out of breath and the only thing you can think about is take the next step. And I've done hikes like this up mountains. 
And it's about where's your next step going to be? Just take that next step and try not to stub your toe and try to stay focused on your breath. And that for me is, is a nice kind of metaphor for how we deal with making change in our life. It's that one step at a time. And, you know, I've hiked the Grand Canyon. I've hiked some, some pretty impressive mountains up in Canada. And I tell you, you're halfway up there and you think, uh, can I do this? What was I thinking? <laughs> but when you get to the top, yeah. here's the gift. I'm seeing stuff that nobody else gets to see because they don't want to make the effort to get there. That's what life is all about, in my opinion. Right. So thank you for answering that in that way. I, I was listening to someone speak the other day about that same place, right, of not necessarily knowing, I mean, trusting that you need to take a step and not being able to even see yourself as that quote unquote kind of person and how powerful for her just pretending that if she looked to her right, she could see that person doing it. And then she says, you just walk over and step on that quote, you know, the spot and be that person, even if it's just for a bit, right? But, yeah. you know, when you're going up the mountain, you're not going, oh, I'm, I can't do it, right? You're saying, okay, I'm the person who will take the next step and the next step and the next step. And you're not worrying about what could happen, what has happened. You are in that one moment. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the whole idea of mindfulness when it comes to this stuff. You know, it's, it's really about what is the internal dialogue that you have going on? Because limiting beliefs comes out of an internal dialogue. And frequently the negative voice that we're hearing in our head was not, it's not you who put it there. Somebody else put it there. But you took it as, as because they were an authority figure, whether it was parents or, or member community, whatever, you took it as, you know, this is a truth of who you are. And of course, we have to dismantle that stuff. So, you know, when I'm working with clients and I'm working with one right now, whose head is filled with negativity, and I call it the two by four syndrome, which is really like slapping yourself up the head with a piece of wood, you know, um, you know, how often do you want to do that? Because it hurts, you know. So every time you hear that voice in your head, you have to ask yourself, who's doing the talking? You know, and where did that come from originally? So I like to tell the story of how my father told me for years that I would never amount to anything. Now, do you think that my behavior in my early life kind of mirrored that? Absolutely. I was never going to amount to anything given the behaviors that were active at that point in time, which were primarily fear-based. You know, total insecurity from, from childhood onward, because I had an alcoholic and violent father. So, you know, you have to learn how to, to develop the skills and talents that take you beyond the place that, that feels like this, this is who I am. Because who you think you are and who you become are two different things. Two different it's, things. The becoming is the magic. The becoming is the magic, and the becoming can take a long time. I mean, I like to pride myself on the programs that I run that I can help you make the, 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 the becoming a whole lot shorter than just trying to do it by yourself. Yeah. Because frankly, we all need sounding boards. You know, I want somebody to tell me, you're full of, it's bullshit. You know, <laughs> it's like, 
get over yourself. But, uh, and of course my kids hate it when I say that to them, get over yourself, ma, don't tell me that. <laughs> I want more understanding than that. <laughs> Your time's up. <laughs> yeah, really, I'm already, you know, I've given you 30 years, it's yours, you figure it out. <laughs> So when we first met on our little short chat that ended up being so long, you know, you told me a story about becoming a cantor. And first of all, the story amazed me because in my mind, doing that would be big. And then when you went into the story and gave me more explanation of the circumstances, I was more I don't want to use the word impressed, but it was more profound to me, really, the leap of courage you took to say yes to something um, a couple of different times. So will you share with our audience a, a bit about that story? So I'm in Paris and uh, we've been living there and we were part of a, a Franco-American synagogue. And I, I, the rabbi knew I could sing. I've been professionally trained for about 14 years at that point in time. And uh, the rabbi said, could you be the cantor for the high holidays? And I looked at him and I said, what do I know about Jewish liturgy? And he said, you can learn. And I thought, well, there's the theme of my life. You can learn. So I said, well, what kind of music do you want? And he said, well, just go listen to some and, you know, figure out which ones speak to you. Now, this is somebody who doesn't read music who doesn't understand Hebrew, had to do everything in transliteration. And so he sent me away to find the music. And I, I went back to my old synagogue in Los Angeles uh, at the time, and I spoke to the cantor and he said, we've just done this two CD set of high holiday music. It's brilliant. You'll really love this. So he hands me these two CDs and he says, you know, take this, this will probably be helpful. Well, it was full on orchestra, full on choir. It was really Los Angeles production values. What can I say? It was a big deal. And I'm doing everything a cappella. I had to extrapolate the melodies and just figure out how to deliver it and then get it into my key. So I did all this for three months. I ate, slept and breathed with Jewish liturgical music for three months. And I know that in the moment when he offered me this opportunity, the first thing I thought about was, I can't do this. I'm not capable. This is way beyond my, my skill level. But what I realized was that my determination and my tenacity in figuring things out and having the courage to say yes and brought me into five years of delivering high holiday music for both the synagogue in Paris and the synagogue in Amsterdam where we moved to later on. And it was some of the most profound music I've ever sung in my life. And I probably will never do it again, but it was amazing, amazing. So what were two of the big, I guess, life lessons that you took from that? And I'm sure there were more than two, but. I think the first one was that I, I really pushed myself to take on the challenge and know that I could deliver it. And I also know that the feedback I got from people who were listening to this was that one woman came up and said it was like listening to God. And I said, wow, you know, because that, you know, all I was doing was basically translating this music. But I did say at the time, if it goes from my mouth to God's ears to their hearts, I've done my job. So this was a, the, really the first time in my life that I'd been given such a responsible role. 
And I remember the first time I showed up for it, my throat was tight and I had a little MP3 player that I'd set the music in my key for and I was listening to it as I was singing so that I would stay on track with this. And, you know, I look back on that now and I think that took a lot of courage to do that, you know. So the lesson that I learned was I'm a lot tougher than I thought at that, that stage. And the second one would be that I'm incredibly disciplined. Disciplined enough to be able to eat, sleep, breathe, all that cantorial music. I mean, even when I mentioned hiking earlier, we're in the Canadian Rockies and I'm hiking and I'm listening to this thing and somebody looks at my husband and he, he says, so what is she listening to? And she, he said, Jewish liturgical music. And he went, oh, and kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem kind of um, fitting, though, for a hike in nature up a mountain. So I think so. Yeah. It couldn't have been much more perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about your newest book that's in production, or it's not going to come out all, probably for another year, right? About yeah. that. Yeah. And about it's, that. it's Fearless Women Leading the Way. So, what inspired you to write this particular book at this time, Jacqueline? I think the world is in a real mess, not just here in the United States, but in the world in general. And I believe thoroughly that there's not enough women stepping up to take strong leadership. And I want to see more women taking strong leadership because it will be the piece that helps turn the world around. We as women are far more collaborative. We are far more compassionate in our understanding. And even although when we're working at high levels, um, there is a greater appreciation for helping others rise up. But I want to see more women in the world in strong leadership. Not, no more excuses, no more sitting silent, no more you know, worrying about what other people think of you or whether you're too assertive or whatever. So interviewing all these women, and I've done about 40 interviews so far, including you, Sarah, so thank you for that. But um, the insights that I'm getting is, is quite remarkable in terms of the journeys that these women have taken uh, and, and what they are contributing to the world of work and to the world in general, which is, is you know, we women are, are strong, we're passionate, we've got a lot going on. But we are our worst enemies when it comes to, can you do it? You know, we know the statistics, you know, give a job to a guy and 30% of it he knows and the rest of it he says, I'll figure it out. And women are like, no, I got to know exactly what it is I can do before I can say yes to this. Well, that's bullshit. You know, I've been learning my entire life by the seat of my pants. So, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't just kept, you know, yeah, I'll try it. I'll see what happens. So I'm really on a mission to help as many women as possible understand that they have a choice. They can, in fact, learn how to do this better. And by using the examples of all these women I've interviewed and, and whatever it is I have to say about this, and I can get up on my soapbox and, you know, I'm, I'm holding women up too. You know, it's not, don't just blame the men because you kind of, you know, your your codependency thing here. You know, you kind of played into it. You you've created some of this. So, as a woman who's a strong woman, and certainly at this point in my life, I'm in a, of a state of mind where it's like, you like it, you don't like it, I don't care. You know, I'm not out to get your approval anymore. 
but I spent a lot of my life looking for approval, and so many women do. And when we're looking for approval, we all like a little bit of validation and, you know, we like to be approved of. But when you use that as a piece to stop yourself from going further, because somehow it's going to upset somebody else or because you won't get what you want or whatever the case may be, it's like enough already. Let's, let's move it along. So the fearless women leading the way are great examples of, I had fear because my first question is, where did fear limit your opportunities? And everybody's got a story about what that looks like. And then the second question is, what's the greatest contributor to your success? And then the third question is, what has to happen in the workplace for you to feel like you've left a lasting legacy? Fourth question is, what's your vision? And the fifth question is, what's your fearless factor? And I had a great variety of answers for that, but there's also similarities that you see. You know, I didn't speak up. I didn't push for that promotion. I didn't make sure that people understood that I was here. How many women wait to be noticed? Well, get over that one, because you don't get noticed. You're simply another brick in the wall, as the old Pink Floyd said. You know. I was just going to say, I'm, now all of a sudden I hear Pink Floyd, um, which is not a bad thing. No. So you mentioned that there are some commonalities in the comments that you've, or in what you've learned from all your interviews. Have you finished your interviews? No, I still have a few more to do. Um, I, I wanted to really um, make sure that I'm, I'm putting as much as I can in there. And the format of the book won't be that I'm quoting everybody's interview from top to bottom. I'm just going to be writing around the answers that I'm, I'm getting. But what I'm seeing quite clearly is that even though some might still have self-doubt and, and worry about their, their credentials and whether they're really capable, which, of course, plays into that whole imposter syndrome uh, piece, which is a big big part of, of even an accomplished woman, you know, it's like, yeah, they're going to find out I'm a fraud, which again, is your own bullshit about, you know, I keep using that word, but that's okay. You know, but it is, it's, it's, it's accurate. It's the stories we tell ourselves, yeah. you know, and I like to say we're all master storytellers, except we're generally telling the wrong stories. You need to tell yourself better stories about who you are and what you're capable of being and doing. And I know again, because I've done it. You know, people would say to me for years, why are you playing so small? And I'd go, but I'm not playing small. And they go, yeah, you are, because you've got a really big personality. And I don't see you out in the world in a big way. You might want to think about that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. hmm, my sister, Jacqueline. So with that, can you share a couple of uh, um, at least your early takeaways from them in terms of was there a theme around what they what people would have done different you know to make a change or what people what legacy they were hoping to leave yeah i mean i think the, the biggest piece that that you know comes up for me is uh, self-doubt that uh you know when i look at we did an analysis of of the different questions and what was the answers that were coming out of it self-doubt got a high number of of individuals who said that was where fear limited my opportunities the second one was fear of making decisions and speaking up that was that was clearly a big piece as well and you know there was a fear of failure which also stopped people from from reaching forward 
But when you look at the contributions to success, this is where it gets interesting because if you start out by having self-doubt, what do you need to do? You need to build your confidence. So the greatest contributor to the success was self-confidence. I'm feeling a whole lot more capable. I'm more self-reliant and so forth. But also determination, perseverance, resilience, that came up a lot of times too, because it's like, yeah, I know how to take the next step. And I know that if I fall down, I can get back up again. Because here's the thing about fear. Fear is based on the fact that I don't trust that I can handle whatever it is that comes my way. So if you don't trust yourself, how can you trust others? That becomes a very clear thing. And then on my third question about, you know, what's going to make a difference in the workplace, it had to do with mentoring and supporting others. Again, women support other women. We know stories of women who don't support other women because they figure they've had to hard scrabble it all the way up the ladder. But more and more I'm hearing we need to support other women. And I think that's a, a really, really big one right there. And then of course, what's your fearless factor? There's a variety of things on that, you know, just do it. Don't make excuses, move yourself forward. Say yes every day to something that scares you. Uh, yeah, I mean, resilience and passion, that always comes up too. So that's the overall arc of these interviews that I've been doing. And as I said, it's been wonderful to hear the wealth of experiences that, that people have gone through. And hopefully it will inspire and motivate others to so take the next Yeah, you talked, you know, like you have your fearless factor at work and then this new book. Now, when you're talking about women being more in leadership around the world, not just here in the States, but just really stepping up into leadership, are you seeing that within the context of work or are you also including other? Uh, other things too. Yeah. I want to see more women running nonprofits. And in fact, more women do run nonprofits than for-profit companies. Um, there's more people in there. Um, so there are many different industries, you know, the manufacturing industries, for instance, you know, we could use a few more women in manufacturing, the tech world, woefully bad when it comes to people of, of color and women in general, the, the numbers are still really low. Uh, even although, you know, there has been an uptick, there's definitely and millennial women, and I have a couple of them, they're more likely to say that doesn't work for me. You know, and they are prepared to walk, which, you know, you know, right now companies are having to deal with. There are more people walking and going, I don't want to work in this toxic environment anymore. You know, it's not good for my health. And, and they look for something different. But I think there's a shift going on right now within organizations. And whilst COVID has created a lot of fear for people, fear of losing their job, fear of not having enough money, fear of you know losing their home, whatever the case may be. There is a, an upside to this. It put everything on hold and it allowed us to take a really good look at what's working and what's not. And if you're smart, you pay attention to what's not working. And a lot of that is around people skills. And oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's there's a definite change in the weather, shall we say, um, with regards to that. But we're still a long way from. But again, it starts with women. Women have to take the lead. 
they must step up. And it's and I think the more you know yourself and who you are, so that you can be less apologetic about that, right? Less defensive, less worrying about being some imposter and just going, hey, I've made it this far. I contribute in this way. These are my unique kind of skills, abilities, or just how I breathe every day. Um, when you can start to appreciate that about yourself, then you can be more at ease, which makes it easier to contribute, at least in my experience and those of others I work with. It's like they just show up as themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big piece of this. It's like, you know, I like to say, are you the author of your own life or are you living in someone else's epic novel? So, you know, when we look at it from that point of view, are you taking full ownership of who the good you are? and the bad? The good and the bad, because we're all flawed. You know, you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm the messiness of being human. We're all messy. You know, we're full of contradictions. We're, we're full of, of, you know, one minute is on, one minute is off. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of varieties on this thing. Um, but ultimately, as I said, you know, the iterative process of becoming human and being vulnerable as a human which is is another side of that how many accomplished women go around going i'm fine i'm totally fine no you're not let's scratch the surface of that and find out exactly what's going on for you you know, you know when my and people who are really close to me when they say that i i just i go okay but i don't know what that means for you today because i know i can say it and it means I'm actually close to jumping off a cliff right now. I've got so much happening in my life. I don't even have the time to tell you. So I'm, I'm fine. Is a shortcut for I don't even want to have this conversation. So I feel empowered to just when other women say that to me, especially if they're close and we have a relationship to go, yeah, I don't get what that means. Could you tell me what that looks like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is BS. It is. No, there's no question about it. You know, I mean, it is a, that kind of you know, throwaway thing of like saying, whatever, you know, I'm fine. Yeah, really. Okay. So, but being able to reveal and being able to feel safe in the revealing of it, not too many women in power or women at a high levels have that luxury because they're too busy defending their position. There's the fear you'll lose something if you do it. But then for me, and I, I speak from this as personal experience to me, I thought, okay, what, then what are you afraid of losing? And when I had that internal thing and then I talked it out loud, I'm going, well, I actually don't care if I lose it. What I do care if I lose is my self-respect and who I am. So the rest of it, it's nice. It's not necessary. Right. But I had to have that, you know, like, hello, Sarah, knock, knock, knock. Yeah. What are you afraid of losing here? Yeah. So it it's a process, like you said, it's messy. Yeah. It's a process, but it is a process. And yeah. once you've made that decision, I'm not staying in that mindset or wherever it is. You can't unknow that decision anymore. You can question it, but you still know that you know something. That's right. I mean, how many people hang on to jobs because it's the health benefits or it's the regular paycheck or whatever? And yeah, I'm miserable as sin every time I go to work. But, uh, you know, that's my security, um, you know, and if I was to step away from that, well, who knows what will happen? So there's that void, that chaos that happens. And we know that we can't make change without chaos. Yep. Chaos is an inter integral part of the shift 
Very simple. That messy middle stuff. It's that messiness of being human. You know, it's like, you know, the conflicting emotions and the the highs and lows of, yeah, that's a great idea, maybe not, you know. Um, and, and these are the, the conversations we have with ourselves, you know. So, yeah. but once you make that decision and you can stick to that decision, amazing things happen. Yeah. I know. I think that's one of the things. Um, and we, it's like, this is a conversation I have in our house too. It's like, it's not like we make r- irrational. We think things through, we have a conversation, but once the decision's made, I don't want to revisit the conversation because it makes me question my thought process. And we've already done that. Right. So it's like, let's just go, let's live this one out. And if we don't like it shortly, we can evaluate it. We just won't make that decision again, but we've decided let's move on. Let's get it done. But it is, it can be that kind of, if then, then this, you know, back and forth and it can hang you up and then work. It can stall you out from speaking up. It's like, What'll happen? You won't know what'll happen unless you reach out and try. I mean, how many times have you been in a boardroom where you've, you know, somebody's been throwing around some ideas and you're sitting there thinking, that's a stupid idea, you know, but you're not going to say to them, that's a stupid idea because then, of course, they're going to get on the defensive and then you have to deal with it, you know, instead of, again, this is about what we do. We teach communication skills. Right. So you're in that situation and you think, could we possibly start, you know, thinking about it from this point of view with that work? It's less threatening than saying that's a stupid idea, you know, um, but the, the, you keep yourself silent. And so you come out the board meeting and you're like, I didn't agree with any of that. Well, why didn't you speak up? Right. And that is when I like when I work with groups and stuff, though, that's the point at which you will see after a meeting, even when they've agreed, they're going to agree in a process. You'll see the sidebar conversations in a parking lot or something. And then it's like, OK, we need to have an honest conversation here. Yeah. If you are not going to be honest in the room, what is the point? Right. You can be respectful, thoughtful, kind in how you express yourself. But you've got to build a base. So uh, we're funny, messy humans, just like you said. (laughs) And that's half the fun, isn't it? (laughs) It's half the fun. The other fun is like when things are working well and you get to go, okay, this was worth the climb up that mountain, you know? Yes, yes. Or even when it's a tough one, you're going, phew, I did that. Yeah, Yeah. Did you always want to be a writer? Yes, yeah. Um, When I was a little girl... I, I, I found my, my peace in reading and I grew up in a household that was illiterate. My parents both left school at 13 working class people and never really got much of an education. My dad would read the, the, the trashy newspapers and that was about the extent of it. And I didn't realize how illiterate he was until my mother died and, and he couldn't even write a check. And I thought, that's fascinating. You know, this was a 60-year-old man at the time. My parents both died very early uh, for various reasons. But um, books were my solace. I would I would escape into the books, and I, I would get them from the library, or I'd get them from the school, or sometimes I would steal them because that's just the way it rolled. But, you know, um, and I fancied myself being a writer. And I remember writing a, a story about, you know, people getting lost on another planet at the age of eight, um, and then I, a little bit later, 
you know, sharing something with, with somebody from a newspaper back in, when I was about 19, I think. But I had no confidence whatsoever in my creative abilities, none. Because I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a singer, I wanted to be a traveler. Well, in time, I did become a writer, a singer, and a traveler. And I've seen a great deal of this world in many ways. And of course, you know, that was the journey I was on. I like to say it's like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. You know, we, we go through the, the difficult stuff and then we rise up the other side. And thank God I'm at the other side of it, you know. But uh, yeah, the, the, the writing part has always been a pleasure for me. Um, my first book, When the Crow Sings, took 12 years to finish. 12 years. And the reason for that is because it kept changing. I ended up writing a semi-autobiographical novel based on family history about three generations of women giving birth to children outside of marriage until one woman had the courage to give her child up for adoption, which became my grandmother's story, my mother's story, and my story because I was the last one. I broke the chain. I gave my child up for adoption. And, uh, you know, so I think the storytelling is a critical piece for all of us. What have we been doing for this last period of time? We've been storytelling. That's how we live our lives. So be mindful of the stories you tell yourself about who you are. Because frankly, not all of it is true. Absolutely. And if you're going to tell a story about yourself that's not true, tell a bigger vision of yourself, not a right. smaller one. That's right. That's right. So big. And so here's when you want to walk, work your way into the truth of who you are. That then becomes the significant conversation. I want to create stories about who I want to become. And we mentioned this earlier in our conversation. You know, Michelle Obama writes in her book, Becoming. And I think that that's very apt for all of us because we are becoming. Who do you want to be in the world? I know that I'm on a mission to change the world one woman at a time. That's my mission, very clearly. Uh, and that's what's my passion. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning to sit here for hours doing conversations and figuring out what can I do to help others? make the difference. And these conversations that we're having, the storytelling that we're doing, very much a piece of that. And I, you know, my books, you'll get a lot of me in, in all of my books. You know, here's, here's my story as well. It's a lot. So I have a lot of story, as you know. <laughs> I do know. We could do an eight hour series just on your story, probably longer. Um, so as a writer and an avid reader, what are you reading now? Um, it's a good, good, good uh, question. I, I'm reading one called Composure by Kate Permal. It's about to come out and it's about executive presence and how women specifically hold themselves back from taking full authority. And again, some of these points, when I opened up her book, I was like, oh my God, we're talking the same language. In fact, I had a call with her yesterday as a, for an interview. And uh, I, I just love her approach. She's got quite a background. The other book I'm reading right now is uh, Future Widow by uh, a person who is in a group I belong to. And it's Jenny Lisk is her name. And it's about her husband coming down with a brain tumor and eventually dying. 
and the journey that she took to deal with it. And I started reading it this morning and I could not put it down. It was so well done. I mean, all the emotional turmoil that goes around that kind of situation. So that's another book that I've been reading. And I just finished Dory Clark's The Long Game, which is all about how do you build a sustainable business? It's not about the quick fix. It's about all the steps you take to play the long game. And I very much am playing the long game at this stage. So it's all good. You have an interesting thread of topics that you're reading and thinking about that interconnect and weave a really nice tapestry. Yeah, thanks. Your life is very congruent. I, at this stage of the game, it is, most definitely. I've had many years where it was like, you're all over the map, girl, and what's, you know, where are you going to go next? And I've had people say that to me. I have no idea where you're going next. At this point in my life, I know exactly where I'm going. And you can come along with me if you want, but, you know, I'm pretty clear. I'm on the short end of the stick now. You know, I've got to a certain age where you go, I'm on the short end of the stick, so I better make the most of what's left to me. <laughs> yeah, no messing around. Let's just get to it. Right. Which might be part of the reason why you just don't care, you know, what people think. You're just doing, you're just doing Jacqueline. I am doing Jacqueline at this point. There's no yeah. question, you know, and, and uh, people say you're very fearless, and I, I go... Yeah, I still have my uncertainties, you know, I mean, I'm making a huge leap right now. And, and I spoke to one of my coaches recently and I said, you know, I'm scared to death. And she said, well, that's a good thing. Go for it. <laughs> it's so funny that we need to be reminded of that, you know, yeah. but it, it's helpful. And especially when someone doesn't say, oh, poor baby, sit down, Jacqueline, just sit down. Yeah. No, go, I go for it, babe. I'm not interested in hand-holding, you know. It's like I tell my clients, I'm not here to hold your hand. I'm here to tell you. If you're telling me a good story, that's great. If you tell me a, a negative story, we got to change that. Yeah. So what do you have? I'm getting close to asking you our final questions, but I do want to know if folks, and I can't imagine they won't, but if folks want to reach out to you, learn more about you, um, maybe work with you, whatever, What's the best place for them to find you? My website. If they go to JacquelineWales.com, they will find everything out that they need to find out about me. It's the stuff that's on the website. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll go from there. But, yeah, there's a contact form on there. I would love for people to reach out. And I would also like to say to your listeners, there are some courses on my website. and. Um, I've got a price tag on them of like $147 there to do with self-awareness, communication, building resilience, and so forth. For your listeners, if they put the code JW21 into the shopping cart when you go for the program, you get it for free. Free? That's a nice price. It's free. <laughs> Okay, we'll put that information in the show notes as well. So we'll put in your contact information for everybody. So as we wrap this up, what's one piece of advice or actionable step someone listening today who might be on the fence of stepping out or trying something that they know is going to be a stretch for them? What, what would you say to that person? If you're hesitant about taking that next step because you don't have enough evidence that it's going to work, 
trust yourself. If you're having the thought that that's where you want to go, then go there. And if fear is taking over, ask yourself, do you have empirical evidence that that fear is real? Because I guarantee you, nine times out of 10, it's just the story you just told yourself about whether you're capable, whether you can do this, whether somebody's going to give you what you want, whether you can even ask for what you want. Trust it. Well, so I guess that goes back to your original quote of be fearless and see where it gets you. Totally. Yeah. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. I've had fun talking with you. I've learned a lot. And you have great energy. And I'll be looking forward to when your book comes out next year. And I hope you'll come back on and talk to us about the book because you will have learned even more at that point. No question. And thank you, Sarah. I really, really enjoy our conversation. So thank you for inviting me in. Absolutely. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.